Welcome to Cold Pizza. This is our weekly podcast from Christ the Lord Church in Dayton, Ohio, where we take the opportunity to squeeze out every last bit we can from the proclamation of God's Word on Sunday. It's our chance to sit down with the preacher and tackle any further questions, applications, or other bits of leftover crust to chew on that didn't quite make it into the main meal. So, grab a slice and join us this week with Pastor Jeff. Hey guys, it's good to be with you. This week's sermon was titled In the Grip of God. I like to think that it was a light play on words from Jonathan Edwards, given the recent controversy that that dead man has found himself in. <laughs> no, <laughs> lots of comments in my head. There are a few. No comment in, in the moment. <laughs> all, all I will say is this. After the Sermon on the Mount, that's like top five sermons all time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't. Don't. In the words of another great preacher, go home. Go. <laughs> yes. Yes, well done. Uh, I was going to try to make something more clever with the like hot take thing on, uh, the, on one that involves the no. hellfire of hell. But yes, just go home. Go home. If you guys haven't read Jonathan Edwards, do so. Especially Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And that was cold sermon. pizza this week, so we want to remind <laughs> We're out. <laughs> Some hot fire. All right, yeah, so in the grip of God. Hot uh, pizza. In Hebrews chapter 4, closing mm-hmm. out that, and uh, picked up verse 13 uh, for kind of um, some extra bonus points and finished out in 16. And this week, uh, really just following straight through the text of um, looking at this idea of trying to, and I want to spend some time talking about this, just some some behind the scenes. I know some people have appreciated that. Sure. Of like closing out the loop of the warning that was there. Okay. Yeah, you just follow straight basically through the text and mm-hmm. um, hold fast your confession, draw near with confidence, and specifically into the throne room where we're going to f- receive mercy and find mm-hmm. grace. Yeah. So I think it's super helpful in helping us recognize where the text is going. But I guess real quick... Um, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week and trying to frame this sermon. Um, but what were you wrestling with in a? This is what this is like a a summary passage and a transition passage wrapped up in one. Yeah, it is. It was uh, really hard not to go on and preach all of well, almost all of five, because <laughs> that's kind of really what he's rolling into. So the struggle, yeah, the struggle I had was to. To not jump into five and preach Matt's sermon next week and potentially the next week's sermon as well. And also, it's hard, I think with Hebrews in general, he's he's a real master at these word pictures and analogies. And it all really does have this one string that's going from the beginning to the end, like the Bible does itself mm-hmm. as, a, as a whole book. And so it's hard sometimes to see where he is drawing that line straight through and he's kind of pulling back to some things he's already said about the high priest so the high priesthood of jesus is the central theme of the book of hebrews that's what it's ultimately about and so he's going to now spend a lot of time on that for a while and our next several weeks are going to be on the high priesthood of jesus and these different aspects and so he's kind of reaching back up on some priest language that he's already mentioned about Jesus. He's gone through the warnings to grab our attention. He doesn't want us to make the same mistake that the unbelieving generation made in the wilderness, which was to not combine the belief in God with faith in God. So they had a belief of God, but not faith in God. We've heard the same message. They're resting. Exactly. So they're not resting, ultimately. And so they don't get to enter the rest. So he's saying, strive to enter the rest. He's saying, make every effort. The word of God then is given to us as a MRI of our faith. The obedience to the word of God is really the test of the true child of God. And Matt unpacked that for us last week. And so he's kind of all these warnings. Now he's coming back to his central theme and idea of the priesthood of Jesus and he wants us to remember that he's already mentioned some of this. He's going to give us this little appetizer at the end of four, which is just a, a glorious text. This really amazing truth. But it's really just kind of an appetizer to the meat and potatoes that we're going to get into in the coming weeks. So he's, 
it seems disjointed at times. Again, if you get too close, I gave that analogy a couple weeks ago in a sermon. If you get too close and start staring at all the little tiny paint colors that make up the whole painting, it can get confusing. You got to look at them, but you got to step back every now and then and see the big picture. And the big picture is Jesus. Jesus is better. And really this central theme of the high priesthood of Jesus. And that's why it's really important for us to be, I think, reading through the book of Hebrews as a whole mm-hmm. as much as we can. Just go back, read it from beginning to end when you get a chance. So you're kind of keeping these themes all together. Yeah, these ellipses happen really often where yeah. he, he jumps into this complementary or, or antithetical pictures and arguments yeah so that happened in my text a couple weeks ago i was like okay guys this statement right here isn't referring to this right he's saying by the way we enter right right put your parentheses in the bible like yeah we we really need like a marker board (laughs) drawing out these things one of the things i think would be helpful as you read through it is so most people will outline the text ideally in their regular study Sure. If they're doing any kind of inductive Bible study, you're outlining your text, right. preferably the whole book. But if you were to, instead of just doing that in a vertical list, mm-hmm. turn on its side so it's a timeline, then you can start with the primary argument. And then when he drops into one of these ellipses, yeah. you just kind of go down a level. That's a good point. And see where it goes. And then, But there's not just two levels. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's going to go three or four, and then you'll suddenly find yourself popping back up. Yeah. And it just is a good visualization of what arguments are for what, what's a support for what, all these things. So just being careful as we read the text to recognize what exactly he's talking about. Because, yeah. I mean, even in prepping for today, I'm sitting here and just looking at verse 14's first word, since. Like, right. S- since what? Since what? What's he talking about? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and there's like three or four different things that it could refer to. Sure. But doing uh, a good study and recognizing is specifically what he's trying to chain together. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is really important. So, well, I do think, and so, to make a point on that, since therefore we have a great high priest, I I do think he's he is referring to all these things. They all tie together. They're all the little streams that come into the same river. So he's since or in light of the word of God, in light of these warnings. I think ultimately, though, he's trying to call our minds back to. I've already mentioned this high priesthood thing. Remember that high priesthood of Jesus I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Now let me really start to just dive deep into that. Yeah, I'm going to give you some really bold statements <laughs> about the high priesthood of Jesus. I'm comparing him to the high priest. And you got to remember when you're reading the book of Hebrews that the audience that he is writing to, like his listeners, his readers, they're much more familiar with these concepts and these ideas than we are. We talked a couple weeks ago when I was on the podcast about Sabbath rest. Mm-hmm. That was so much more relevant to that culture and to his readers than it is to us because we've lost that in our Western context. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea of high priest and what that meant, like, oh, wait a minute, Jesus, you're comparing him with the high priest and Jesus going through uh, even the layers of heaven as the high priest had to go through the layers uh, of the temple to get to the um, Holy of Holies. Now Jesus is in the very presence of God. And then all of a sudden he has this bold and dramatic Really unbelievable, I think, for some of that audience, and it really should be for us too, in this kind of sense of awe that we should be uh, sitting under as we hear these words, you get to go with confidence into the throne room of God. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait what? Not <laughs> only one person can. Right. Yeah. Wait, what? How? And so he's already talked a little bit how. I think, though, on this side of the cross, we we have this fuller picture, and sometimes we take for granted all the little streams that have been flowing together to yeah absolutely to the main river yeah, yeah. i mean it's a great blessing but yeah it can definitely screw up our view <laughs> as well sure i think you did an excellent job uh in just showing us how that's possible by not having to go into five i mean you, you brought it up maybe once but yeah your entire argument was from chapter one and two true and and bringing that to bear and so i hope you guys can see you know some of what we're trying to to tackle the other thing that you were closing up was that loop of that first really big set of warnings. Um, yeah, there's more coming. <laughs> uh, sure, but this this kind of finishes closing the door on some of those as we as we jump back up to that first tier. So. Yeah, that's that thirteen. There is a real potent verse. No creature is hidden from his sight, and all are naked and exposed 
to the eyes of him whom they must give an account. So we striving to enter his rest, persevering. So we understand we're persevering because we're being preserved. But there's still this sense of, uh, I think this fear and trembling. We're out your salvation with fear and trembling. There is an account that must be given. Who, who will be saved? Well, those who have persevered, those who are there in the end, those who are in Christ. And so it's not this passive rest. Yeah. It's a working rest. And there's this understanding that I um, am exposed before God. So before salvation, all my righteousness is like filthy rags. All of my good efforts are nothing. He sees my heart. He sees the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. And the word of God is the thing that pierces down deep and exposes those things. Those, this is how he's working together with these ideas. And so you can try to wriggle outside of this idea that in the end you'll have to give an account to God, but that's the reality we all have to face. Um, we are like a, a little pup uh, by the neck held in his grasp. You understand something about grips uh, <laughs> from doing jujitsu, right? Yes. <laughs> right. Like you get, when I was a kid, my older brother used to put me in a headlock he was, yeah. he was like, you get you in that headlock and you can't breathe and it's between the bicep and the armpit and you're just like, you're stuck. It was crazy about that, by the way, is the only thing you have to do is pull their hand down. Oh. And you're out. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> but you never think about that? When I was a kid. You're, yeah. yeah, you're freaking out. Yeah, all you have to do is pull their hand down. Um, yeah, the, the grips and, and the helplessness that comes with it is, yeah. is a thing that I've been told about. Um, <laughs> Right. <laughs> As we were practicing uh, takedowns and just lifting people up, and they're like, wee! <laughs> <laughs> Never been lifted by a grown man before. <laughs> Changes things. So, yeah, that's the picture, though. I mean, it's that total vulnerability. Yeah. Um, I've experienced that from, like, a helplessness side. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing I can do to help maybe my kid or my wife or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the personal exposure there. It is totally different. And so, yeah, I think that warning closing out this picture of assurance mm -hmm. is a big deal. It is. And I, it, so I, let me speak to my fellow control people out there. <laughs> you can sympathize with Yeah, you. I can. I can sympathize with you. You do not have a pastor who is unable to sympathize with you, <laughs> but in every way has been tempted, like you in the areas of control and with much sin, though. <laughs> so, I I like the feeling of being able to have all my ducks in a row. I don't like the idea of uncertainty. I like to, to be able to have everything on the back burner that needs to be there and everything on the front burner that needs to be there. Uh, and ultimately, my confidence then is in myself. Um, I, I fruit from my control in a lot of comfort. I, I have a lot of comfort that comes from having everything in control, and if everything is controlled by me, then I'm okay. I can rest. And so that's really difficult for me to, to relinquish that and to, and to submit that to God. But that's why I lean into God's sovereignty and his greatness mm -hmm. and this, his vastness and my helplessness and my completely naked and exposed um, is a great comfort to me when I lean into it. My mm -hmm. flesh hates it. That's the feeling of being small is something I really don't like, but there's this weird comfort um, and picture of the Almighty when I stand like in front of the ocean. I yeah. just really meditate on how vast the ocean is, or mm -hmm. I'm out in the middle of the country in the middle of nowhere looking at the stars. And I think about the galaxies. That idea of smallness in the presence of such greatness, that's a weird feeling for me. I, I kind of don't like it. There's a fearfulness kind of creeps over me but there's also this strange comfort as i meditate on the vastness of god yeah and how really insignificant and un uh how i'm unable to control really mm -hmm. anything and i'm down here trying to control my little corner and the god of the universe is the yeah. one who is in control of everything you're at his mercy and then that changes the way that you view getting grace and mercy in exactly. just a second <laughs> and i think that's what the author's playing with here and that's why i titled it in the grip of god because he's he's ending his warnings out by saying you're basically held by the neck mm -hmm. like a little puppy in the grip of god and you can't get out and you're completely exposed 
you're you're dead in your trespasses and your sins. You can't sneak out the back door. That's it. Yeah. And then he transitions into this. Well, since you, yeah, if you're, yeah, since since we have a great high priest, and if your confidence is in that, now you're in the grip of God, yeah. and you can rest in that. Yep. And we have this echo of the confession that we were already given in chapter three. Yeah. Um, and it's still the same, <laughs> still the same thing. Yeah, he's saying Old the same confession. thing. <laughs> yep, As and, a preacher, that's very encouraging to me that most of the New Testament writings are just the guys saying the same things. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm not saying anything new to you. Yes. It's just, we're dull of hearing. Uh, you have to go to the extra books and, and my Catholic Bibles over there for that <laughs> stuff. For the extra stuff. That's yeah. what he said to the Israelites, though. Like, yep. what he kept, just kept telling them the same thing. Yes. I am the God of your fathers. I made a promise. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Told you I would bring you to the promised land. Mm -hmm. Why are you running around trying to take things into your own hands? That's why we sing, God always keeps his promises yesterday. Yeah. That was really fun, by the way. <laughs> I wanted to do the, the Carlton. You know what the yeah. Carlton is? I was like, I wanted to get up and dance. It was great. I was I was encouraged by how well it appeared to be received. Yeah, my kids absolutely loved it. Yeah, <laughs> the they, kids did too, too. They loved it, yeah. So, it yeah. was great. It was fun. I don't get to play that style of bass much here. Yeah, so. you were going for it. It like, was boom, fun. Boom, 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 boom. I haven't done that stuff in 15 years. It was good. Uh, yeah, so this confession piece we've already had in the hold fast your confession and boast in your hope type thing mm -hmm. uh, from chapter 3, I believe. And so yeah. you, yeah, um, that. you're my favorite part from this section was just your description of the, what the confession is like, Hey, this is it. And, and you did so much of that from, um, from chapter one and two, but if you, if you could just go ahead and read that, that again. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So he's saying, hold fast your confession. And I said, well, what is your confession? Um, I gave the analogy before I read it. I gave the analogy of sailors um, with um, hold fast tattooed to their knuckles, which is an example I've given before um, from Hebrews 10, actually. And supposed to hold fast their post. Uh, and that was a reminder to them. So our confession is in 1 Corinthians 15, it's Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He's buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then I talked more about that. And I'll just read you from my notes. Um, this is our confession. His cross was perfect, effective, and final. His resurrection was victorious. Like the high priest, the people, like the high priest of the people, Jesus, the great high priest, made atonement with his own blood and now has passed through the heavens into the holy of holies, the very presence of God to, for all eternity, make intercession on behalf of his elect. There, for me, he bears his scars and presents before the righteous judge his perfect life and sacrificial death on my behalf. This is good news for you, Christian. Mm -hmm. It's done, finished, and sealed. There is no longer a sacrifice for sin. There is no other priest needed to present our sacrifices to God for forgiveness. The great high priest has offered up himself once and for all there is no other way he is the way yeah yeah so that should be pretty easy to hold on to you should get that tattooed on right your, on your <laughs> yes. arms yeah that's it that's our confession yes this has been cold pizza <laughs> <laughs> well that's what was so you asked like what was kind of hard about the the uh sermon if I can, I really like to, I did this a while ago from chapter two, where I kind of just had a little sentence that mm -hmm. walked through the passage. I really like to do that. Yeah. And I was sitting down in prep thinking, I'd like to kind of do that. I was like, so since we have a great high priest who has, I was like, that's just the, that's just the text. <laughs> like it's so self-explanatory. It's so glorious. There's, I feel like all I need to do is just get up and read it and sit down like yep which is really cool coming after the uh message last week about the word of god being so effective yeah and i'm like i really could just get up and i said what i said, read it. <laughs> said he, he said what he said man god has spoken and 
and I, I, I failed to mention when I was talking about verse 13, what the author is doing there is in verse 12, he's talking about the word of God being like the, the sword that cuts deep. And then he kind of really skillfully transitioned to talking about God himself. Mm-hmm. And you don't even really realize it unless you're looking. So he's saying God and his word are the same. And so, yeah, he said what he said. Yeah. And what he what said I'm... was perfect. And sometimes when I sit down to prep, I'm like, Lord, I cannot say it any better. What am I supposed to say from this? I'm just like, look, look at the text. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's what I kind of just try to do. I try to preach to myself and yell and tell people <laughs> how amazing God's word is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That pronoun shift. I brought that up in communion a week ago. And that's a huge change. Mm-hmm. Uh, of of what's going on and and where you're looking and what you're what you're leaning into yeah so is it that when you came in the office and you're like my sermon's too simple <laughs> i did i was like it's just <laughs> it's too simple i don't know what else to say it's so because last week or last uh, two weeks ago whenever it was when i preached it was really kind of technical and this is the hardest sermon piper's ever had to preach <laughs> exactly yeah and then you get this one right exactly <laughs> so but what i, I mean Again, if you step back a little bit, and I, so I, I keep telling people, go back and read chapter one. That's really where I got that little ditty I just read a little bit ago about what our confession is. So go back and read chapter one and step back and look at the grand picture of the painting. And, and we walked through these really important warnings. You know, Russ, you took us through the meat of those warnings, which had a lot of people like, <laughs> trembling in the pews like am i really a christian which by the way is not a bad question to ask mm-hmm. right um as we examine where are we putting our faith and trust but what a glorious transition where he's like all this all these very serious warnings and look at this generation who fell away and look how easy it is to fall away and yet you have this great high priest this is your confession and not only that you have complete access mm-hmm. to the throne room of grace, to the very presence of God Almighty. And yep. you can even call him Father, which was nuts for Jesus' uh, audiences, by the way. There just happened to be stones everywhere all the time. <laughs> exactly. like, <laughs> And they picked up stones. They're always, I just picture, anytime Jesus starts talking, they're all just slowly reaching down to grab stones. <laughs> just carry it around in your bag. Like, by the way. Have fun today. By the way, as we share the gospel and as we preach... As we uh, proclaim the kingdom of Christ, if people aren't, if there aren't some people that are reaching down for stones around us, usually, then we're probably doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. People have their concealed carry of <laughs> temple stones to throw. Well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think that's a perfect segue into this next piece of like entering into the throne room. I know that as we talked a little bit last week, that was kind of one of the pieces we wanted to develop. Is well. Why are we going there? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, cool. It's, yeah. You're not going in to look at the tapestries. Exactly. Or just hang out and be part of the court. You know, right. What, what is it that we actually are seeking after need? Because I think one of the things that we talked about was like, it's one thing to talk about all these things that you get, mm-hmm. but the, the getting of stuff in the scripture is uh, predicated upon a need. Exactly. Yeah, predicated upon a need. And so you have this, need that is exemplified without him telling us that we have it Mm -hmm. just by what he's giving us so the fact that we're receiving mercy and finding grace tells us that what we need mercy yeah (laughs) we need grace yeah you go back up to 13 yep without mercy you're done Mm -hmm. without a gift that you don't deserve grace you're done yep and and while that's my confession. That, that's what Christ has done for me. Yeah. That I, I really, I could have, go but, ahead. But what do I think generally in the, in the Christian economy that mercy and grace is? Mm. Well, I think of, and you know, I walk into the Christian bookstore and I see this verse on a pillow. Right. Right. Yeah. One of my biggest fears with this passage was that people um, Spurgeon said, don't speak in a, we should preach in a way, not just to be understood, but also in a way that we are not misunderstood. (laughs) So, I mean, every time we get to preach, you know, I, that's something that's on our minds and hearts because people will (laughs) Matt was lamenting last week on the caveating stuff. Right. Exactly. You, you caveat, you caveat, and people will usually hear what they want to hear. That's why it's so important to practice redemptive listening. Um, 
And we can trust that the Holy Spirit is the best preacher and he's going to do his work, but we also have to do our hard work. And so my concern was I didn't want people in the pews, whether they're members or visitors or whatever, to take this passage and abuse it in the sense that, well, I think I referred to it yesterday as like a, a come and grab or, you know, uh, kind of treating treating God like the little uh, pony keg down where we kind of just drive through, get what we are essentials and head off, you know, off we go. <laughs> uh, but often we do that. And I often say on the podcast here, I often refer to our Midwest Dayton blue collar culture. And I do that because a spirit of godliness and a spirit of the gospel is very evident in our culture. Mm-hmm. And it, it comes from a lot of different places. It comes from some of that Appalachia stuff that I'm from, who has a um, a callback to some very solid theology of the reformers in Scotland and Ireland and so on. But it's mixed with the strange Celtic stuff, and it becomes superstition. And now, and to be fair, some of it, some is legitimate and definitely more good. I would say more gooder. Than, than the alternative. And so since I've been doing, you know, jujitsu, I've been exposed sure. more to some of the Eastern, um, mm. just culture stuff, mm-hmm. um, from various things. And so, but you see, I mean, rife paganism in oh, that, yeah. right. You do compared to what you're talking about now is still runs the risk of being pagan. It does it largely is. It just has a different veneer. It does. It runs the risk of being pagan. It's it's the my grandma was a believer and grandma probably was a very strong believer. Um, but grandma's faith doesn't carry over to you. Yeah, because I think this is so much more pertinent for a culture like ours of saying, all right, you say you believed you trust. Exactly. Just everything we've been talking about for the past two months. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I don't know if um, I could go down a, a rabbit uh, hole. I should just write a book on this Eastern Kentucky Appalachia stuff. Um, maybe a, a redeemed version of Hillbilly Elegy. I was going to say, you know, like, <laughs> what's the prequel to Elegy? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking about the wilderness generation. Their, so their, their um, descendants enter in. But their descendants can't depend on their parents because mm-hmm. their parents failed right so we do have this kind of ancestralism in a strange way in our culture and the and the 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 idea that i really was trying to push back against was you can't you can't treat god as if i want all the perks but don't expect me to come into work you know give me the car give me the bonus but don't expect me to do anything give me the rest but don't expect me to strive and and those kind of things are seen very evidently in like in the community of the church. Give me the community of the church, but don't give me the accountability of the church. Yeah. Give me a pastor who shepherds me in the way that I feel like I should be shepherded, but but when he has to get out the the um, rod and give me a few whacks to keep me in line, because, well, he sees some wolf uh, tracks there, and I'm heading down that path, or I'm about to eat some poison berries or whatever. Well, mm-hmm. I don't like that. Yeah. And so I just want to be really... I want to be really careful that people didn't get this idea because I see it everywhere of, well, I can ask for prayer, for help, and it's answered with so many times, well, God's got you. You got this. Mm -hmm. And there's no fruit in that person's life whatsoever. And so you're giving them a false hope. You're giving them this this half gospel, which is no gospel. It's a damnable gospel. You're not permitted into the throne room of grace if you're not in Christ. And the evidence of those who are in Christ— Go back up to the warnings. Are those who are persevering, those who are striving, those who are striving and persevering because they are preserved in Christ because he has already strove a word. He has strived, whatever. You get the point. For us. Striven. Right? Am I making sense here? Yeah. but No, I think it's he doesn't hear your prayers. Yeah. It's the prayers of a righteous person that are powerful and effective. Right. Like you can't go in there. If you went in there, you're obliterated. Uh-huh. Because you haven't been hidden in the cleft of the rock. You have not been yep. hidden in Christ. Because that is our our confession is our confidence. We but, can remember that scene in uh Lord of the Rings where Aragon busts through at Helm's D, busts through the doors. Yeah. I had that picture in my mind. I know everybody <laughs> makes fun of us for talking about Lord of the Rings all the time, but whatever. 
Um, that is the actual second gospel. <laughs> the second gospel. <laughs> so you be bust in. I had that's, that picture. That's of our mind. apocrypha. <laughs> that's our apocrypha. Exactly. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. He bust in. Um, I had that picture in my mind, like kaboom! I'm allowed to be there, right? Mm-hmm. I'm allowed to be there with my my silly concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm allowed to be there with my serious concerns. I'm allowed to go and fall at the the mercy seat, to fall at the throne, which is now a th- holy a throne of grace. Pink says, to receive mercy and find grace. But that is only for those who are in Christ. There is no confidence. There is no boldness in coming. Mm-hmm. There's only naked and exposed in the wrathful grip of God. Yep. So let's not give people false hope. And that was a concern well, I had th- yesterday. One of the false hopes comes from this sympathize with is those who are not in Christ think that he sympathizes with them. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Jesus, yeah, Jesus knows our every weakness. The hymn says, take you to the Lord in prayer. Yeah, he knows our weakness, but that hymn is written off of this passage. Mm-hmm. The prayers are heard of his people mm-hmm. who have who have um, fallen to his lordship, who have bowed the knee to his lordship. Now, so if, if I may, then essentially what you're saying is that the shepherd hears the voices of his sheep. Yeah, yeah. And all he hears from outside of the pen is just screaming goats. He does. Yes, okay. exactly. Now you should YouTube that. I should YouTube that. If screaming goats. If you. No, don't do that. Just go listen to Taylor Swift. It's bad enough. <laughs> Just, I'd rather listen to a screaming goat. Dropping fire today. So, if you're a goat, repent and believe the gospel. There, there's a prayer there that's heard, mm-hmm. right? And so that's that's the the hope, that's the joy, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? We were all once goats. Right, so to speak, not to get too down in the weeds. This is the kind of trans that we would agree with. <laughs> so there you go. So repent and believe the gospel, and and then you're permitted entrance. But that there is no held in the, you know, Jesus says, um, nothing will pluck them out of my Father's hand. And that's that grip of God I was talking about. But without Christ, who has given you the right to be placed in the hand of God, which you will never be brought out of. Mm-hmm. It's just the grip at the scruff of the neck. It's the spider dangling on the web over the fire, mm-hmm. um, to quote yeah. a good sermon. <laughs> Some would say. Some would say. Most. Most would say. Christians <laughs> would say. Apparently those who haven't been enlightened. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, well. Yeah, so that was that was a concern I had. So I think we should be careful of that. Also, I think we should be careful. I gave another warning. What Jesus, when it says he's sympathizing with us, it's not he's not what we would call um entering into engaging in a sinful empathy. You know, I gave that analogy a couple weeks ago about homeward bound and how chance gets down into the pit to help, you know, shadow. So Jesus gets into the pit for us. He he gets into the pit and he takes our punishment, but he gets into the pit to bring us out of the pit. Yeah. And and so the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. The whole of the Christian life is walking away from the pit of unbelief. And so whenever we want to run back to that pit of unbelief, then Jesus is telling us, I'll, I'll put a foot in and pull you out of there, but I'm not going to sit down in the mud and be like, yo, I, I get it. I was here too. That's why he says, that's the, that's the part we miss. He sympathizes with us. What a beautiful thing that the Savior feels my pain. So my pain, suffering and trials, echoes in the heart of Jesus right now at the right hand of the Father. Mm-hmm. That is a, what a beautiful thing. And that's why it was so, <gasps> to his audience, like, the, what? Yeah. Like, this is insane <clears throat> because, you know, a lot of um, ancient cultures taught that God was distant, that he couldn't be trusted, that he was cruel. And yet here we have this, and and and, and um, the Jews had a much better picture of God, but the idea that God could be called Father and they could enter His throne room and find help—that was just so foreign. So what a beautiful thing! But it's not—it's not this. Uh, I get how you feel, 
and therefore you get a pass because your life has been really hard or X happened to you in the past, therefore that gives you uh, an excuse. You know, go read Romans 6. But he says he sympathizes with us. He knows your weakness, yet he was tempted in every way without sin. So you got to mm -hmm. put those two things together. So I think in the context of the passage, what he's saying is your sins have been forgiven, receive mercy, penalty for your sin has been paid, but the power of sin has been broken. Christ endured faithful, and he has given you his righteousness. Now you really can do the same. I kind of was at a loss for words at a moment in my sermon yesterday because I was just like, <clears throat> I wanted to take the Bible and literally like thump people in the head and try to get it. Like, <laughs> this is a beautiful truth. Whatever big besetting sin, <clears throat> I asked people, what is the sin? Yeah. Oh, it has been good. forgiven and it's been conquered. It, it's a phantom. It is. Yeah. Like, I know you feel its effects and I know it's, it's, you, it's tangible and real and it's before you and you're in the grips of it perhaps, but it's just unbelief. That's, that's, we've talked about it before. That's why we brought up the double cure so much. That imputation yes. of his righteousness back to us is so crucial. Yes. Because that is alone the obliterator of legalism. Mm -hmm. so it is. In our ethics class, we're jumping into legalism and antinomianism. Mm. And uh, specifically inside of legalism, in every case, there's always this undercurrent of self-justification. Yeah. And if you recognize the imputation of Jesus' righteousness back to you, it just obliterates the whole premise of legalism. Mm. So that now the fact that you're naked and exposed should be appropriately concerning if it wasn't for the fact that you've been clothed in righteousness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that that's what's so so frustrating is I, I want the warnings that we covered to bear the weight that they're supposed to. That's why we tried not to soften them. Yes. But at the same time, you're not spending the whole of your Christian life in the pit. Yeah. We need people to turn into Galatians 6 ones. You who are spiritual, restore those who are are in trouble who are caught in sin yes like it, it can't just be and it isn't just the pastors who are the spiritual ones or mm -hmm. the mature ones it's the body yeah at large should be in that category right exactly well and and he's this is one of the points that he's driving through so the in uh chapter five that matt's going to hit next week the high priest takes uh, the the sins of the people and the sacrifice and presents it to God uh, on behalf of the people to God. Well, that that job has been um, that job's gone now mm -hmm. because Jesus fulfilled it. Yep. All right. So Jesus presented His own works of righteousness and and paid the penalty for our sin. God is satisfied. God is satisfied because He raised Him from the dead. And that's the confidence in which we draw near. But we understand that we don't need that high priest anymore, an earthly high priest to intercede for the people. So all we do as pastors is just take what God has now to offer us and say, yeah. trust in this. Mm -hmm. But how often do we take confidence in and and hold fast our the confession of something else? Yeah. Like what anything I mean, else. I've been thinking about this this morning for my own personal application. Like what what confession do I hold fast to? And more What's a little more potent for me is the confidence of drawing near to the throne of grace. What gives me a feeling of confidence besides Christ before God? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it, for, for a control guy, like I said earlier, it's, it's my system of, of spiritual disciplines. It's, it's my record of being a good father or a good husband or a good pastor in, in what I think constitutes those things which are many good things but i'm kind of being like which i've mentioned before the philippians who are putting a lot of their um hope in past victories mm -hmm. so i have this kind of i had this uh confidence in my ability or i have this confidence in the process of sanctification instead of the savior who sanctifies me if that makes sense no it does i think i mean it's really all different flavors of the same thing yeah, it's all ice cream. It's just different flavors for us. Because for me, I it's mean, it's all pizza. <laughs> yeah, different topics. Um, for if it's not just outright sin, I mean, that clearly for most people would be like, yeah, I don't know about that. And like, sure. of course, this is what separates me. But I think with a little bit of spiritual maturity under your belt, because for me, it becomes this: it's I'm 
I'm not basing my justification in the things that I do. Hmm. My concern for me is going to be I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. They're just not good enough. That's good, yeah. And, and so for me, I I have no rest, no comfort. Yeah. <laughs> In my ability, it's really disheartening sometimes. Like I'm, I'm literally doing my best. Yeah. At, you know, X, Y, and Z, whether mm-hmm. that's at home or here or whatever, I'm, I'm doing my best, and I can't keep all the balloons filled. Like, it's not good enough. And so there's that despair that I can run into of like, it's just never good enough. And sure. But it doesn't have to be because I'm not doing it to be good enough. I'm doing yeah. it because I love my king. Yeah, that's good. And if I have his his effect from it, his righteousness on it, then it is good enough. Yeah. And, and so it's it's very much the same thing. I'm still trying to do it well enough because mm. I imagine control people are being like, you're describing perfectionism. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. That's not what I'm going for. It's a different flavor. Um, and so the the heart, that motive for it is a part of my class. But that's that's what we're getting into here is the mercy and grace that we need is that. Mm. It's that double imputation. Right. Right. No, that's good. I I was thinking about Romans 12, 1 and 2, when I was thinking about there is no more sacrifice. Mm. In a sense, the only sacrifice now is that we, when in the language of Romans 12, we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Yeah. Holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable worship. <laughs> reasonable, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then verse two, don't be conformed to the, the ideologies, the passions of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mm-hmm. So that transformation happens in the renewal of my mind as I enter the throne room, as I go to find mercy and grace, as I hold fast my confession, as I... As the word exposes you. Exactly, as the word exposes me. So the word of God exposes the places of unbelief. It, it exposes the places where I'm sitting in the pit. And then the transformation happens as I, um, as I look to the mercy and the grace found in Christ, as I hold fast the confession that he is our prophet, priest, and king. And that's, that's what the author of Hebrews is just pounding away mm-hmm. to the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So this last thing, this uh, throne of grace quote yeah. you have from Pink. Go ahead and read that for us again. Oh, Pink. Pink is the best, by the way. <laughs> it's like, hard not. When you quote him, it's hard to not have like five sentences. It's oh, just I know. The it's whole just, thought. Yeah, I'm like, just. I'm going to read the whole commentary on Hebrews for one sermon from Pink. Dude, you could. Yeah, he's so, so good. good. I used his commentary for um, Sermon on the Mount in a sermon series. Um the first time I'd ever used him, and I was like, yeah, blown away. <laughs> yeah, so read A.W. Pink. Uh, so he says this uh, about the throne of God. There is not merely grace on the throne, but the throne is altogether the throne of grace. It is grace which disciplines us by the sharp and piercing word. It is grace which looks on us when we have denied him and makes us weep bitterly. I think that is the perfect quote, picture, description of this throne of grace that we're going to. Mm-hmm. Because I think so many people view their Christian life as still being stuck in the pit. Yeah. And they're mistaking this pit that we have been rescued from mm-hmm. and righteous and taken away from and righteousness given to us. They're mistaking suffering in their faith for this pit. It's, yeah, it's good. It's a good analogy. It, it, the suffering is going to come, and yes. and and should is a marker of you doing the right thing. Yeah, Peter, <laughs> go back and listen to sermons in First Peter. I preached a sermon then entitled "The New Norm." Yeah, for Christians, I remember like, that. Yeah. Suffering is the new normal for you. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you're not suffering, you, what does the psalmist say? Why did the heathen prosper? Yeah, there's no suffering in their life, mm-hmm. huh? That's not good. God yep. has left them alone. Mm-hmm. You don't want God to leave you alone. Yeah, to your devices. Yeah. Yeah, so I think they, they confuse the fact that they're suffering and think they're in the pit. Yeah, that's good. The concern is if you are in outright sin, then yes, you have great reason to be concerned. Sure. I think we've been clear on that. Suffering in your life doesn't mean that you're in the pit. It can be hard and yes. you're going to need help and you need this mercy and grace. 
But that doesn't mean that you're in the pit. And so there's no despair there. That's why we can still, in suffering, boast in our hope. Yes. Yes. Amen. And so then when we receive discipline, though, that can also feel like suffering. Yeah. But it's that same discipline that's actually a grace to us. Yeah. And we can't confuse uh, those two things. Yeah. Not to exhaust the uh, analogy of the pit and get corny, but, you know, the, the pit is muddy. And so the victory, you've received mercy, you have grace, penalty paid for, power broken. That's the, he's taken you out of the pit and set your feet on a solid rock. You got the victory. You're not in the pit anymore. Mm -hmm. So now you got to start walking away. I said that earlier. The whole of the Christian life is walking away from the pit of unbelief. So here's the analogy. It's probably kind of silly. But you, you might still have some mud from the pit on you as we walk encased in this flesh. Right? And I think often we look there and say, oh, I'm still in the pit. Right? So no, it's, it's the shedding of the flesh becoming more and more like Christ, less and less like Jeff, less and less like Russ, growing up in Christ, not drinking milk anymore, starting to eat meat right? as we grow up in Christ and become more and more like him until one day we are totally fully like him. Yeah. And I think often we, when we get into suffering, it's either because we still got a little bit of uh, mud on us and uh we need as we walk through the the filth of this world we acquire sometimes a little bit of dust on us and we need christ to wash our feet in that sense as he's already washed us in his blood there's a, a continual washing as it were uh, yeah yes but i mean most of the, the suffering ideally for the christian comes from the fact that you're at war yeah like, <laughs> yeah exactly for for the christian who follows the commands of god in the love of God, sure, is going to find opposition. Yeah, in a world that doesn't just disagree; it hates it. Yeah, and that's really the picture. So that's the best picture. And I'm notorious for saying this, but this is the last thing I'll say, <laughs> <laughs> as I go on for another thirty minutes. Um, that's the picture I think of the throne room. So if you picture the throne room of a king, mm -hmm. you're not in there just to like hang out at the court and look at the tapestries and. No, you go there to be equipped. Mm -hmm. You go there to be reminded of the power of the king, that he has defeated all of his enemies. You go there as a reminder that you are a street urchin, and now, because of the prince, the son, the exalted one, and his taking your penalty, you've been made, not just been forgiven your, <clears throat> your treachery against the king, but you have, your treason against the king, you have been made an heir of mm -hmm. the king, and you come there for equipping. Yep, And that's really what the author is getting at with this. Christ was tempted like you, yet without sin. Come boldly for mercy, grace. You go into that throne room, and wow, oh my goodness, I'm here. But you're going in there to be prepped for war. Mm -hmm. So that you, you go into the throne room and you go back out to gain another acre for the glory of God. Yep, That's, that's what the picture is. That's the kind of help we receive from Christ as we enter that throne room. Yeah, there's going to be times when we come in kind of bloodied and bruised. And, and God, in his love and kindness, uh, gives us comfort, and he, and he equips us, and he gives us his grace, and he sends us back out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the reason we're pressing this is because, one, it's our job uh, to present you mature in Christ. Right. right? Then we have uh, my next passage, um, which is, there's no nice way to preach my next passage. You're getting all the good uh, I, tough ones. I'm super excited about this one. I've used it a lot over the past I'm sure years. it'll be super helpful. And this month I'm hoping I aim for that every time. Super helpful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you sh many of you should be teachers by now. Yeah. You're drinking, you need milk instead of solid food is the is the rebuke. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's coming. So I, let's let's start now. Like, yeah. this is what the courage is. This is what the hold fast confidence. This is what the boast and hope is for. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Good. Is there any other, other than just going into chapter five, is there any other directions or kind of things, angles that you wanted to take at this? I know you said it was simple, as we've talked about in fast weeks, frustratingly simple. Right. Um, I think the only thing, you, I, you really could preach the entirety of, you could really have a strong emphasis on this text about, um, Jesus sympathizes with us and unpacking what that looks like 
Uh, I can't remember the Puritan's name, but he wrote a whole book in a very Puritan fashion, um, which is excellent. I can't remember his name. It's it's uh, lost on me at this moment. On Christ who sympathizes with us. But it, So I could have really spent a lot more time on that, but I didn't just because of the um, kind of the context and the culture in which we find ourselves today. I think that it's important to emphasize the 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 double edgedness of that yeah that christ sympathizes with us yes what a glorious comfort but he was tempted in every way what a comfort that he knows what i've done and he knows what i've gone through but he was without sin Mm -hmm. therefore if i'm in him i don't have to give in to my temptation I don't have to despair because my savior knows how I feel, whether it's physical infirmity or mental or emotional, spiritual, whatever. And he's made a way of escape. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I could have spent more time on the sympathy part is really beautiful realizations there, but I wanted to kind of just make sure I was striking the faithful down the middle. On that. Yeah. I think that relational component of 15 is definitely more, um, savory i guess if, yeah for, for lack of better terms but 16 is where he's going exactly so i think you yeah. did a really good job framing it in that yeah um, like yes this is a true thing but this is why you need that true thing and yeah. this is what you should be about yeah and i didn't so we, we shouldn't make ourselves about verse 15 right exactly and i didn't spend the bulk of the time on 15 what again which i could have because there's so much to unpack there in particular like I was saying earlier for this audience they're like wait we can have this personal relationship yeah. with God mm-hmm. what like Moses was the closest one without, to that yeah without another mediator right exactly Moses the close he got the closest right like he he had to put the towel on his head cuz he got to see the back of God's glory mm-hmm. but you're saying that I can have this personal relationship but again I think in our cultural context uh, I wanted to be really clear that Yes, that's something you should dive into, but make sure you're diving into it in the in the context of the whole text, yeah. which is what we should do, of mm-hmm. course, all the time when we come to the scriptures. Absolutely. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you, Pastor Jeff. Yeah. I hope this has been super helpful for you all. I'm going to try to come up with something else so I don't turn into Tony Romo. Um, <laughs> don't. Just, just don't. Don't even talk about it. I had to go find Grace. And mercy. Last night at 8.30. Last night at 8.30. Yeah. Yes. And some mercy. No mercy. Uh, Strike hard. Yeah. Go Eagles now. No mercy. (laughs) I can't believe I'm going to be cheering for a Philadelphia team. Yeah. I don't know if I can make that leap. I got to. But I take it less personally because my Packers are on the couch. So... Yeah, well, I hope this has been super helpful for you guys, and we want to encourage you each week as you continue into Hebrews and into your, your life at home and at work to go know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys.